<laughs> I hate it for the poor smuck that's got to come and follow that up. <laughs> uh, my name is David Giles, and I am part of the uh, team here. And um, I'm not a guest rapper, <laughs> for those of you who are, who are unsure about that. But um, it's great to have you here. First of all, we're, we have a very important topic as these guys get set up. We have a very important topic to talk about this morning. And I'm more than delighted to be here with you to share that. Um, but first, a couple disclaimers. One is if you are a guest here, first of all, welcome. Um, and I also want to let you know that this today is going to be a, a kind of behind the scenes look of one of the core principles of, of Christianity and what the church should be about. So if what you hear today resonates with you, I pray that you come back the next couple weeks as we explore this topic of a generous life a little further. Second, I hope you do not see this as me preaching at you. Um, more or less, this is a, an inner conversation that I'm having that you guys are invited in on. Um, usually it's not this many people around when I have an inner conversation, but that's okay. We'll work with it. Um, and the third thing is this. If you are someone and you're here today and you are a Christian and you've been a Christian your entire life and you understand all of these principles, I hope that today is a starting point for you to invite someone in onto the conversation of a generous life and specifically giving of our time. See, giving of our time, if I were to ask you, um, or if we were kind of to look at the scope of, you know, the people who attend our church, and we're going to specifically look at our church, the people who, are, who attend our church and the people who give, there is a disproportionate number of the number of people who serve, who give of their time, and the people who actually attend. And you may say, well, Giles, I, am, I give my time in other places, and I, I don't necessarily do that here at church. Well, I'll ask you this. If you were to take out your calendar and look at the calendar and look at the days that you have set out um, and, and what you have done on those days and what you have scheduled on those, day, on those days, how many of them reflect time that you're giving away where you're not expecting anything back? Again, this is an inner conversation, so I'm having this conversation with myself as well. But when I look at that, I see that there is a huge lack in what we're called to do. And also, when you think about this, it's something that God calls us to do consistently across his word. So why is that? Why do we have that problem? One, I think we have that problem is because we've been conditioned to think a certain way about time. The second reason, I think, is just because we don't understand that God actually does place a high importance on this. So as we get into this, I want to kind of look at... Um, Kind of, kind of bring these ideas into fruition a little bit. So I, I'm a school teacher. Well, I was a school teacher uh, for 12 years. So I brought my trusty whiteboard here with me. Um, I hope you guys can. Can you all see that? So I hope everything works out. But if I, if I were to ask you to um, fill in the blank here, time is. What would you say? That was not a rhetorical question. What would you say? Money. Money, right? Time is money. Most people in church or not, will probably say that time is money. That's how they will fill into the blank. But judging by the fact that you guys didn't answer that way and you were a little reluctant, we know that that is not the case, right? But indulge me for a second. The reason why this is such a common phrase is because if you look at most of our lives, how do we create money? We do it linearly, right? 
we exchange our time for money. In other words, we go into work for 40 hours, we get paid for 40 hours. And some of us sign up for this amazing thing called salary, where you go into work for 60 hours and you get paid for 40 hours, right? Because we're geniuses. <laughs> Not really. So if we look at kind of this, this concept, time can't necessarily be money because one, you can earn time, you can earn more money, you lose money. You don't necessarily get time back though when you lose that time. Right, so our, our frame, our mental map around, around this idea of time has been skewed a little bit. You may say, well, Josh, I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't have work yet, I'm a student. Well. It kind of applies to you guys as well, because if I'm not mistaken, you take your time, you go into school, correct? And you go into school for that hour or so, for that one class that you really, that hour of class that you think is worth it, but you are actually there for seven or eight hours, right? And what do you do with that degree or that diploma afterwards? You exchange that to some corporation so that you can then exchange time for money. So none of us are really escaped from this, this mental map or this, this concept of time versus money. But I believe that you know as well as I do that time, that can't be the only thing that associates with time. So I won't ask you any more questions yet. But what are some other ideas that come to mind when we think of time? One that comes to my mind is that time is finite. That means there's an ending to time. We don't have... We're not going to live forever. There will come a time when there is no more time left for us. What are some other things that we say about time? Once we lose time, we can't get it back, right? Time is precious. All of these things that we say about time, I think they sum up to one thing or one word or one concept, if you will, for time. And that is this. Time is life. Would you agree with that? That all of these things, all of our time ultimately adds up to our life. Now, when we look at this concept, that can't be all either because when we think about time is life, we're essentially saying that if we show up, then it's okay. Here's a, a little illustration. I brought some, um, <clears throat> some guys that helped me out with this. You may recognize, here. here's some people in the front laughing. They, uh, you may recognize these characters. These are My Little Pony characters. Are you familiar with that? Um, if you have kids, then you probably are. I was excited about My Little Pony because this was, came after the era of uh, Dora and Diego and Caillou, and I did not like, I was tired of Dora screaming at me. I was tired of climb, climbing mountains with, with uh, Diego and Caillou. If I had to hear him whine one more time, I was going to you know, do something terrible. Um, not really. But so My Little Ponies came along, and I actually enjoyed this show. This was a really good show. So like any good parent, it really is. I'm a brony, by the way, in case you don't know what that is. That's a bro, a bro who likes My Little Ponies. That's an actual thing. You can Google that. So um, I'm serious. Some of you, not now. You listen to what I'm doing now. Don't, don't Google it now. But anyway, so we have My Little Ponies. So like good parents, what did we do? We went out and we bought all of these little figurines, not knowing that what we were going to have to do after that is engage in playing with these things. So I would go to work. I would wake up. After, I would come home after a long day's work, 
You know, I, I wake up at 5.30 in the morning at the time, this phase, this phase of my life, I was, you know, working out at 5.30, then I would go shower, I would go to work, and I was teaching, so I spent all of my day, you know, nurturing kids and that sort of thing, and if you've ever taught, it's exhausting, so you understand what that is, and then I would come home, and as soon as I step in the door, I would hear, Daddy, let's play ponies, let's play ponies, and, you know, wanting to be a good dad, I proceeded to play ponies. But not before we had this conversation. Daddy, we want you to be Fluttershy. I don't want to be Fluttershy. What do you mean, Fluttershy? I want to be Applejack. Applejack is strong, and she's got a strong will. She's uh, loyal, and all, she's hardworking, and that fits me. I need, but, Daddy, we need you to be Fluttershy. I don't want to be Fluttershy. We need you to be Fluttershy. I don't want to be Fluttershy. I want to be Applejack. <sighs> okay. So we would continue to start playing this game of My Little Pony, and we would start to act out this episode of Nightmare Moon coming back. She's the villain. Nightmare Moon coming back and wrecking the pony's day. But before I could even get into, before Nightmare Moon even came back, and my wife can attest to this, before Nightmare Moon even came back, I was on the floor sawing logs, laid out. Knocked out. And I would wake to the tune of daddy, 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 daddy. And when I finally woke up, I would see my wife looking down at me, shaking her head like, really? Come on. And I say that to say this, I was there. As a matter of fact, if you could probably look back over my social media pictures and posts and see hashtag dad life. Hashtag time with the girls, you know, the whole nine yards. But was I bringing any value to the table? Was there any quality whatsoever brought to the table? If I had to answer that question honestly, the answer is no. Now, before you judge me too hardly or too harshly, do we not bring that same concept into everything that we spend time with? We go into work, we clock in at 8 o'clock, we leave at some of us at nine, and then we leave at five. And we may actually only do three hours worth of productive work in that time frame. But we were there, and we, and we were rewarded for being there. School is no different. We go to school, again, for an eight-hour day for only really one class that we actually like. And if you can, you say, well, I'm, I'm in college. I know this pristine university that I went to. We, for one year, we had to take core classes that I can't tell you anything about right now. But I was there, I went to college, I put in my time, and that was part of what my life was. And I would be remiss if I were to leave this out because this attitude does not escape the church either. We come into church and we hear the song and we think, oh my God, if they talk about up in and out one more time, I promise I'm going to punch somebody in the face. Or if I have to hear reckless love one more time in this service, I am, I don't know what I'm gonna do. But we were here. We put in that time, that's part of what our life was. But really all we were doing was being busy. We were being busy doing things, and what I, fit, what I found out is that busyness is in direct opposition to giving, of, to giving of our time to others. 
Busyness actually, it steals our resources and our talents away from giving time to other people. Busyness, in the, in the way that we look at it like this, busyness is me-centered, is what can I get out of it? And you're probably like myself, and you're, you're saying, I don't want to live my life like this. I want to add something to my life. I want to add meaning, and I want to add purpose. I don't want just life. I don't want to just be busy doing things. I want meaning and I want purpose in my life. Now I have some students out here. I'm gonna put you guys to the test. I said I wasn't gonna ask any more questions. I lied, sorry. What we do to one side of an equation, what does that mean we have to do to the other side? You have to do the same thing. There has to be something of equal value, right? So I can't just add meaning and purpose and keep time the same. So in other words, I have to do something to time. I want to add quality to the time that I'm putting into my life. And that's where I think all of us are. I think we want to, we, want, we don't want to just live life. We want to add purpose. We want to have light. We want to have meaning. We want to add value to not just our lives, but to other people's lives. And we're going to look at a little bit of how Jesus did this. And we're going to look at how his personal relationships were affected as well as his relationships with other people his neighbors, if you will. And we're gonna see how when we take the focus off of ourselves and we put it on other people, it does add value and meaning to our lives and their lives. So before we go into the, um, into the word here, I would like to uh, lead us, uh, begin it with prayer. So if you would please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this time that we have here to get today. Uh, this morning that you've given us to explore what it means to, to give of our time for the, into the service of other people, for the service of other people. We pray that you guide our thoughts and our actions um, this morning so that we can hear what you would have us do and not just be hearers of this word, but to be doers after we leave. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Ah. So, we're going to look at a, a, a pretty familiar verse to, to many of us, but definitely a familiar concept to, to everybody. We're going to look at um, John 15, verses 12 through 13, and it'll be on the screens if you have your Bibles. You can look in that as well. But when we look at this verse, it says this. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And this is Jesus talking. And John is, the, um, is one of the, uh, the direct people, one of the apostles, if you will, that um, Jesus called to come and follow him along, to come and be with him forever. So John, he saw Jesus in his everyday life, and he saw Jesus in his work life. He saw Jesus when he was doing miracles. He saw Jesus when he was hungry. He saw Jesus in every phase of life that human beings go through. John saw this. And this is what he had to say about Jesus in his life, and I think we can glean a lot from it. So, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, 
then someone laid down his life for his friends. The interesting thing about this verse is typically we hear this verse when we are, when it's Easter time and we think about, you know, God or Jesus dying on the cross for us, right? But if we look at a little, a little deeper, if we look at the kind of the, the secondary meaning of what the word life is, it says that it's the soul as the seat of affections in our will. In other words, this is something that we currently do. It's the way that we live our life. It's our will. It's the meaning, the purpose behind the, the actions that we take. So even though it does mean that life that was given, that death that happened on the cross, it also meant the life that Jesus actually lived. So if we look at this life that Jesus lived, there's an account in John 4 when, um, if you look at this, it's a really, it's a really, really rich, ver or really rich chapter, and I think we can learn a lot from this. But if we look at it, it kind of starts off with Jesus is basically on the run. He was preaching. He, we could say that he was on a mission trip, if you will, for those folks who go to church. He was out, and he was preaching, and he was doing a, a lot of um, preaching of the gospel, and people didn't like that. As a matter of fact, they were, they were going to chase him, and they wanted to arrest him. So Jesus left, left the place where he was, and he, started, he headed back home. Now, the path that he took, he had an opportunity to either go around this place or to go through this place. This place that we speak of is a, is a town or a city, if you will, called Samaria. And in Samaria, the people of Samaria, these were a, a mixed race of Jewish slash Gentile people. And if you're not familiar with that, that concept at all, a, the Jewish people basically thought that the, the Samaritans were, and I'm going to use a churchy word here, defiled, which means that they felt that they were they were, the way that they behaved could bring sin upon themselves. So a lot of the people, they would go around Samaria to just avoid being in contact with these people. But not Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to go straight through the city. He says, I'm going to go right into that mess. And I'm going to handle my business as I go through that mess. So as Jesus is there, he's at this well, and he sends, it's, it's very interesting that he sent his, his people out to get food for him. And while they're out getting food, Jesus is, is hanging back, he's at the well, and a woman comes up, a Samaritan woman. Now, not only was it bad for them to be in contact with the Samaritans, but to be in contact with a Samaritan woman, that was a huge no-no. I mean, if we think about politicians now who uh, don't want to be in the same room as a woman, you kind of heard those things. But this is kind of that situation or that scenario where, where Jesus is here. Just from being in the room. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong from our standpoint now, but definitely Jesus says that, hey, there's something deeper here. There's a greater purpose that can be done here. He's talking to this Samaritan woman. He, not only is he talking to her, but he asks her for a drink of water. So not only is he in contact with her, and we know what, how the Jewish culture feels about that, he's going to take water from this woman, put the water to his lips, and drink the water. Highly scandalous. 
But here's Jesus. Now, throughout the course of this story, we kind of hear, you know, what, what goes on. And um, we later find out that not only is this, this is not just an ordinary woman. She's a woman who has had many husbands. She's a woman who her reputation in, in Samaria was bad, let alone what her reputation amongst a Jewish population, a Jewish rabbi would be. But here Jesus is. Now, towards the end of the story, Jesus' friends comes up, and the woman is like, oh, my gosh, my mind is blown. I need to go and tell some people. She left her water there, and she runs off back to the city. And when she comes back, before she comes back, this, this, this lets you in on a little bit of, of kind of what Jesus was going through, what was, what was happening, this, you know, the condition of him. His, his friends, these apostles, these other disciples, they're trying to get him to eat something. They're saying, Jesus, eat something. Now, whenever somebody tells me to eat something, which isn't often, but whenever somebody tells me to eat something, it's because I am showing signs of hunger. I'm either angry or I, my face looks, you know, a mess or whatever. So these people have been walking for hours. Jesus and his friends, they've been walking for hours. They're at the well. Jesus hadn't drank any water. He hasn't eaten anything, eaten anything. His friends are saying, hey, we got to eat. But Jesus says, I'm about my father's business. There's something happening here. And I don't need to waste my time with this, with food, with what you consider, what you would think that I need. I have, a, I have time, I have a finite amount of time that I have to work with to add quality into these people's lives. And lo and behold, the, the city, the Samaritans, a group of them, come up, and they want to hear about what Jesus is doing. And he changes their life so much that Jesus invites, or they invite Jesus to stay with them for two days. Could you imagine, I'm a middle school pastor, could you imagine coming back from a mission trip and then you may be stopping at South Boston. I met some people from South Boston earlier today. That's where we stopped and we, you know, we would get Bojangles and, uh, uh, and um, Burger King and that sort of thing. Could you imagine stopping in that city and having someone, a group of people come up to you uh, and say, hey, you know what, I hear you guys talking about Jesus. Tell us about it. As a matter of fact, stay two more days with us. That's unheard of. But this is what Jesus did. This is the life that he exemplified for us. So in this way, he laid down his life for us. Not just, his, not just by dying, but every single hour of his life was laid before us. And I think he, he put quality time in those around him and his personal relationships were affected by that, and his relationships with other people, his neighbors, was affected by that. So why do I say his, his personal relationships? If we look at uh, John, John was the, is the guy who, who writes this, and John realized something. John saw that Jesus took this time to spend with the woman that he really should not have been involved with at all. As a matter of fact, when they came back, the, the, um, the verse says that they marveled at what Jesus was doing. That means they were in total shock. 
He's talking to a woman. Oh, my God. Can you believe that? And it's a Samaritan woman. I know. Ah. They marveled. But I don't think John missed the message. He saw that the quality time that Jesus gave away is what added the life, meaning, and purpose. Because John wrote this well after this event happened. And he was writing it to a partially a Jewish crowd. So he could have left it out. And so he could have said, this is too scandalous. This is too provocative. This is not PC at all. But he chose to put it in there. And I think he chose to put it in there because the way Jesus lived, he saw that the way Jesus gave away his time and that quality, that he, it added value and purpose to his life. John's life as an apostle, as a close friend to Jesus. I think that John realized that if we loved in this new way that Jesus has called us to live, this new commandment that Jesus speaked about in verse 12, this new commandment of giving our time in the name of Jesus will give life and meaning and purpose to our personal relationships and to our neighbors. Jesus is the glue that brings all of this together. When we love like him, we make this possible. So let's go back to that question that I asked you earlier about uh, your calendars. If we think about this for just one second, if we understand that every single second, every minute, every hour of our life, we have the opportunity to put Jesus in it. All of those calendars where we said earlier that we possibly could not say that we were doing something for someone else, we now can say, or we can now use those opportunities to plug this in, and now we are living a life in meaning and purpose for the kingdom of God and ultimately, we don't get anything in return for that. So when we go to work and we're in that meeting, we have the opportunity to inject quality time in the name of Jesus that's going to give life meaning and purpose. When you're at school and you're walking down the hallway, you have time to inject quality time in the people around you in the name of Jesus. And when you give that away, you're going to have life, meaning, and purpose to their life and to your life. We can use that across the board. And just imagine with me for a second, what if we decided to all do that here? If every single person in this room decided that we, were, we are going to look at life like this. Now, if you are, again, if you are kind of checking things out and you're new to this, we're not asking you to be Jesus tomorrow, you know what I mean? You don't need to go quit your job and, you know, sign up to do the soup kitchen for the next month and a half. That's not what we're saying. But you can consider, you can begin to consider what it looks like in every single opportunity in your life when you're engaged with someone else. How can you add value in the name of Jesus? How can you add quality into that time in the name of Jesus so that you can give 
away life, meaning, and purpose to that person. Everybody can do this. Could you imagine coming back to your groups on Sunday mornings and saying, I can't wait to tell my group about this person, that this, this person who was addicted to, to heroin. And I've been able to spend time with this person, put quality time in their life, and now they're beginning to turn their life around. They're beginning to become more acceptable, excuse me, receptive to the word of God. Or can you imagine walking into the doors and you are bringing in somebody in your group, the people that you are doing up, in, and out with, I said it, the people that you're doing up, in, and out with, you introduce them to her or this person to them, and they recognize the name as the person that you've been praying for for the last year, year and a half. Could you imagine the conversations, the excitement, the vibrancy in not just this church, but our community in this entire city? If each and every one of us decided that we're going to put quality time in the name of Jesus in every single hour that we spend, in every single thing that we do, this will be in a, a very different place, different in a good way. It's awesome now, but it will be awesomer. I feel like I could say that with ponies on the table. <laughs> but that's what Jesus has called us to do. In his name, we don't get any of the credit for that. He does. And by taking ourselves out of the equation, we then allow him to work through us in a miraculous way. Now, I did mention earlier that, you know, the... He gave his life away, and part of that, he, he um, gave his life for others. Part of that was his living life, but there was also the death of Jesus, and as the band comes back up, um, we are going to kind of just one quick second talk about that death that he gave. And we're going to have communion here in just a second, and it's a reminder of that life, the life that he gave for us. The life that he gave for us to say we are no longer slaves to sin. For us to say that we can now participate in this in such a way that we can involve his name in it and it becomes greater than any nonprofit cause. It becomes greater than any humanitarian thing that is being done out there because we are working for the kingdom of God. So if you are a believer in, in this, if you believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on Calvary for our sins, that he rose on the third day and he ascended to heaven, communion will be open for you during our last song. If you haven't gotten to that point or if you're not sure, we respectfully ask you to decline the elements as they, um, as they are here. And once you have made that decision, hopefully you've heard something today that kind of starts a little inkling in that how can I get a little bit more about that? Um, you, you reserve that time for when you are sure. Let's pray. And as the music begins, you guys will be, um, you're invited to, to come forth and partake of the elements. Dear Lord, thank you for being a God that is 
greater than anything we can ever imagine. Thank you for being a God that just didn't show up to be busy. Thank you for being a God that, take, that took time and added so much quality to it that we are talking about it now 2,000 years later, that we are hanging on every single word that you've said 2,000 years later, and we are believing in those words. We praise you. We give you the honor. We give you all of the glory. And in Jesus' name, amen.